Hello everyone, just before we jump into the main episode today, I wanted to thank our two top level patrons, Jennifer and Toby, who are supporting us on the Rainbow Parent tier, which is absolutely bloody amazing. Do you want to join them? Head over to Patreon and uh, you don't have to donate as much as they do, but we'd really appreciate anything that you can give to us. More about Patreon coming a little bit later. On with the episode, my darlings. Welcome to the Queer Movie Podcast, celebrating the best and worst in LGBTQ plus cinema, one glorious genre at a time. I'm Rowan Ellis. And I am... <laughs> I'm Jazza John. Each episode, we discuss a movie from a different genre of cinema. This episode's genre is... Queer chiller. It's so cold in here. I yeah, fully. I will say everyone. I do not understand what this genre is. It's like a thriller, but more chill. I don't. But that's, yeah, you're right. Jazza is right. This is like what everyone has been describing it as. Like if you go on the Wikipedia article for this movie, mm-hmm. literally the quotes from critics call it a chiller, and I'm like, we're behind. Baby, we we need to we run a podcast about genres and we're like, what the hell does this even mean? And you know what? It's handy for us because we've already done queer thriller, I think. That's true. So this technically is a different genre. It is technically a different genre, sure. Um today we're gonna be talking about the M. Night Shyamalan adaptation of the Paul Trembley book Cabin at the End of the World, Knock at the Cabin, not to be confused with the 2011 film Cabin in the Woods, which is much better. I mean, yeah, that doesn't seem like, feel like it needs any kind of uh, argument from me. That's very obviously true. Uh, but before we get started, sexing some grasshoppers, Jazza, every single... T- Jazza, listen, everyone, I think it's become clear by now that Jazza writes the scripts for this beginning bit. And often they write it literally like as we're on the call together. And I don't look at it beforehand because I'm an idiot who trusts them. So um, mm-hmm. I guess that's a reference to them catching grasshoppers and discussing... Whether they're boy grasshoppers or girl grasshoppers yeah, or whatever, she's, so you, she's okay. going around sexing grasshoppers, okay, and that's what sure. it's called when you when you put down like the the sex of the animal. It's called sexing. Thank you, Sally LePage, for giving me that information. Okay, sure. So hmm. I'm so sorry. Let me start that extremely normal <laughs> sentence again. Um, but before we start sexing some grasshoppers, Jazza, what's the gayest <laughs> thing you've done since the last episode? Uh, so I've got a pretty cool one. I'm I I haven't been legitimately intimate famous arguably ever, and so me getting noticed off of the internet doesn't happen uh, very often. So when it does, it's a lovely little special occasion. I have been recognised on Grinder <gasps> in New York uh, this week by the lovely Jamie. Hello, Jamie. Thank you for listening. Hi, Jamie. Hi, Jamie. I will say we, we exchanged a couple of pleasantries. Uh, no dick pics were exchanged. Okay, good to know. I just want to make that very clear. But thank you very much. If you see me on Grindr, say hello. Rowan, um, what's the... Sorry, I just want to... Just, just one quick follow-up question, Jazza. Mm-hmm. How far away was Jamie? Jamie was... Uh, what was it? Because I know exactly how far away it was because you sent me the screen grab of this conversation. <laughs> I did, yeah. And it was um, extremely close. Oh, it was a like hundred... No, it was 45 metres away. <laughs> Literally your roommate. <laughs> I have been I have been staying in Hell's Kitchen, though, and I think the grid stops at, like, someone is 200 metres away. So that's not extraordinary for this part of New York. Did I mention I live in New York? No, I don't think you have. No, okay, cool. Okay. Uh, Rowan... How about you? What's the gayest thing you've done? 
Honestly, I think it was watching episode three of The Last of Us. Uh. That truly made me feel so gay. And we, I immediately after watching that episode, messaged Jazza to be like, please, can we do a little special episode, bonus episode of the podcast about episode three of The Last of Us. So that is in the works, hypothetically. It is in the works. Unless you never see it from us, in which case it was never it was never in the works. <laughs> no, allegations only. We're too late for kind of like the hype around the episode, but it is such a great episode. I think we are going to make it at some point when we have some time. Yeah, I mean, I, please don't tell me that because I'm genuinely thinking of doing my March video about queer zombie media. So let's just say it's like always relevant. Like yeah. a zombie, constantly alive, <laughs> never dead. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> First, we are going to be talking about the background of M. Night Shyamalan and asking, why? We'll then be splitting the movie into three acts and discussing the plot with our usual sassiness. Jazza then has some extra discussion for the end of the movie, which has me um, very excited with anticipation because they haven't told me what the hell their bit of context is that they're going to talk about, which I don't think we've ever done that before. Normally, we tell each other too much and we have to keep being like, save it for the podcast. Stop telling me your mm -hmm, opinion. Mm -hmm. Stop talking to me like we're friends. We are only allowed <laughs> exactly. to talk on the podcast. Um, so we will be spoiling this movie as we do with every one of these episodes. So if you care about going into these things fresh, we would encourage you to watch it before listening to the rest of the episode. So if you've come back, welcome back. For those of you who stayed, thanks for staying. Without further ado, let's sell the shit out of this air fryer and review <laughs> Knock at the Cabin. So really with this movie, I was we always talk about the context that we can do these movies mm -hmm. in. And a lot of the time it's very obvious and there's very obvious like the history of the genre, like with our horror episode or the, the history of the movie was really interesting or with the moonlight, things like that. With this one, I was like, I guess that M. Night Shyamalan is like the interesting aspect of this movie, essentially. Mm -hmm. Other than, you know, they let gays be main characters. Um, so how generous, by how the generous way. of them. Thank you so much for your allyship night. So it has come to my attention that I feel like I was kind of growing up in the heyday of this man because I have spoken mm -hmm. to some people who are younger, like not not wildly young, but they are just like not familiar with him because they mm -hmm. just weren't old enough to watch his movies. Even though his movies were like 12 rated, they were sort of like, oh, they're horror movies kind of sure. thing. So like 12 rated in that way. The fans of M. Night Shyamalan that I am aware of tend to be our age, a little bit older, like movie geeks. Yes. And I think it's because he had some of the, some of the most iconic movies of like the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. And then he... Um, fell off a <laughs> fell off a cliff there. But the funny thing is, if so, the way that people remember him, I think, because of the Sixth Sense, which was mm -hmm. like definitely this absolute breakout movie, which he which he also wrote. This it came out as the same year as another film that he wrote, Stuart Little. Oh my god, really? Nineteen ninety nine, and no, did rewrites for She's All That. Wow. All 1999, an absolute stellar year. We don't talk enough about his incredible Stuart Little, where the mm -hmm. twist was the very first moment of the movie where the child was a mouse. Yeah. <laughs> so notoriously, he like- No one has, saw it coming. He has these big twists in his movies. That's what he's known for. However, a lot of people talk about the idea that he essentially like went downhill with the village. I feel very strongly mm -hmm. 
that The Village is not a bad movie and that at the time that it came out, it was a well-received movie. And because of Lady in the Water, which came afterwards two years later in 2006, that people absolutely slated. Everyone wanted to be really cool and sound like they had always known he was a, a trash mm -hmm, hack mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and stuff. And so they start hating on The Village to be like, oh, I knew before anyone else, I've always not liked him, which I think is very, very rude of them. I agree. I think... I think The Village as well, it was his last movie that I enjoyed. <laughs> like I yeah, well, yeah. yeah, yeah. And people people did enjoy it. And I like genuinely, it's one of those movies where like when you don't know the twist going into it, like that was so brilliantly done. Mm -hmm. And it made complete sense logically within the movie and it all came together and it was really interesting. And I think it's just when you know the twist and then you come back to it with the attitude of like, this guy's a hack, like the, he never writes good stuff. Loads of people just retrospectively decided they hated it. Mm -hmm. But when you look at what he's done, he doesn't have some like massive, like 10 feature film discography before that, where he was writing all these twists, mm -hmm. right? He has like the sixth sense is his big one, unbreakable and then signs mm -hmm. and then the village. Yeah. So it's not, and also obviously Stuart Little. Um, <laughs> But so it's really interesting to me that he he managed to get such a huge name for himself where it was seen as like this big fool of this iconic director after what is essentially like three features yeah. that have this element to them that he was known for. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, he, he essentially is known as the twist director. So... He also essentially after The Village comes out has Lady in the Water that was the beginning of the end for him. He does mm -hmm. The Last Airbender, which was- Oh my God, I forgot so about awful. that. After Earth was him as well, which I forget because it because the flop With of Will it was Smith so and... put onto Jaden Smith and mm -hmm. Will Smith. Split, which has a lot of like question mark, question mark around it and Glass. Old, which is the everyone ages on the beach one from two years ago now, because yeah. it was 2021. And now we've got Knock at the Cabin. But I will say there's like, this to me, this movie, I mean, I feel like we've already sort of hinted at it. It's not necessarily pulling him back up to a Sixth Sense levels for either of us. Uh, no. That's it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the review. This is the thing though. So he doesn't really do big uh, studio pieces anymore. Not since, I don't, I think it's the last Embedder is the last time that uh, he worked with a big studio. And so most of his stuff now is, it leans more indie. Um, but the thing is, it all still does really, really well because the M. Night Shyamalan brand is so strong. Which is wild because he has like three times as many flops as he does successful movies in, terms of, the, in terms of the way that people view the movies and how critically they, they've been kind of responded to. But he has been so influential, I think, especially on people who, um, like I said, were around our age, maybe a little bit older, who were first being introduced to movies at the time. Like his early movies, especially, were such experiences. And I think in, the, in, the, in a similar way where stuff like The Lord of the Rings and the way that that was such an influential series of movies for people who then went into work in the industry. I think that M. Night Shyamalan is that for a lot of media critics, for a lot of people who now work in this. And so there is that mm -hmm. really firm fan base that he has. And it really it is like a, a fanboy fan base. Yeah. And I will, I, so I think as well, 
completely agree with you. And I think that it ties in even further because when you think about movies that have big twists in them or big like shocking moments, they often come with a higher age rating. Mm -hmm. So the really classic twists that were out at the time, you're looking at like the usual suspects, you're looking at seven, Mm -hmm. things like that, where it's like there's either a big twist or a shocking moment. And so you're right, this idea of an introduction to cinema, I remember watching like The Sixth Sense, watching The Village, like when when I was 12, when I was like 11, 10, 11, 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And like, they were gonna be the first movies I ever really got to see, which had a massive twist in them. Mm-hmm. And that showed me what it could be because before that I'm really consuming children's media that ultimately doesn't really work. Like twists aren't really a children's media thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so much. And it was this idea of like, yeah, trusting your audience to be able to like piece things together by the end, there being a puzzle to solve, there being like some more other levels to it, other layers other than just being a good movie. Cause like Sixth Sense, I think, the reason that works so well as a movie with a twist, will not spoil it, even though I'm sure literally everyone knows the twist of that movie, even if they haven't seen it. Um, I Can I tell you something? I've, I've never seen The Sixth Sense all the way through. Oh, it would destroy, it would fully destroy you. That is a film that I watched as like a 10 year old, but you are a little bitch baby and you absolutely <laughs> be psychologically destroyed by it. Oh, is it actually scary? I didn't realize well, it was okay, actually scary. So I hasten to add that I watched this when I was like 10 years old. So uh-huh. it was, it was not like, terrifying it was i really liked horror movies as a kid so it was like enjoyably frightening for me through the first watch and it's one of those movies with a twist where you can watch it again after you know the twist and it becomes almost like a different movie to you yeah and you get you every time you watch it there is something you can get from it there's clues you can spot there's things that like are exciting which mm-hmm. i think is like the best kind of twist movie mm-hmm. it's it's one where the twist feels it changes unpredictable but inevitable at the same time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so What this does though, being known as someone who makes these twist movies means that inevitably when people go and see his films, even though a lot of the films he's put out since don't have big twists, people expect that. And I definitely feel like that had a big effect on my experience watching this movie Mm -hmm. because I was really finding myself searching. It is a very simple movie in that it has a very like high concept premise of these four people believe that they will be saving the world by making this, essentially making this family choose to kill one of the three members of the family. Mm -hmm. They believe they will be able to save the world. That's a very high concept premise. You can explain it in one sentence and it's all basically in one location. So for me, I'm like, oh, this is primed for a twist. There is something going on here. Mm. So everything, I was looking at everything with meaning. I was trying to figure it out. I was like, I wrote so many notes of like things that I was, predicting were going to happen and then there just wasn't a twist but the movie also wasn't good enough for me to feel like it was better off not having one i think there is a twist okay controversial did i just did i just misunderstand this extremely complex movie well well well, like i think is a twist they're gay because that is (laughs) that is a twist more or less um no they i think the twist is the fact that the apocalypse it's meant to be the fact that the apocalypse is real okay but here's the thing jazza that's in the trailer yeah so i didn't watch the trailer ah okay and i from reading from having now watched the trailer i am like oh that is literally the whole movie yeah and it it would if you had seen the trailer it literally ruins the whole thing yeah and i think although i will say i think it marginally probably makes the viewing experience better it doesn't make it significantly better but i think that we're set up we're meant to believe that this is um for like 
fundamentalist religious religious bananas bananas people who have come here and are like performing and are doing a homophobia and i think it's meant to be oh this is actually real and that's like the big twist oh they they kill one of their dads and now everything's fine and that's meant to be a oh, wow i can't believe you did that but obviously it doesn't really have that gravitas to it but to me that's not a twist that's just one of the options that are laid out at the beginning of the movie already yeah and and that is from the first like after the first 20 minutes when they've tied the gay couple up that is that becomes what the movie is the movie is oh either this thing happens or this thing happens yeah and one of the things happens and so i was always searching for that third thing or the twist and i had a bunch of ideas i was like listen buddy m my friend, mm-hmm. I got some options for you that I can uh, point out as I go through. I also made my notes in the cinema. I watched this in the cinema. And so they are so incoherent in terms of the, oh, J- Jazza also did. Yeah. I'm looking at some of these notes and I'm like, I really hope I can remember what plot point this goes with. <laughs> because one is just in all caps, baby got a gun. Um, so I'm hoping that I can figure... I'm assuming that's the child got the gun at some point. The child? I don't think he gets the gun at any point. Though. Oh, I think Baby might have been one of the guys then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it is. I think maybe Eric is Baby. Uh, I also have... Andrew. I can't believe you're mixing up the gays. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Leonard, what? Um, I also wrote down... I, re- I read this out to myself just now. And I was like, why did I put Rip on on there? And I was like, oh, it's because the note is meant to be R.I.P. Ron. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, some clearly some very intellectual notes, which you all know if you've listened to the podcast before is entirely what this podcast is about. Intellect mm-hmm. all the way. <laughs> I will say, I might save it for the end, but um, do you know anything about the book it was based on? Yeah, and the book is better, apparently. <gasps> I've never read the book. So do you know the big the the difference, the ending? Well, there's two big differences. Okay. Shall we talk about the ending difference at the end when we talk about the end? I think let's just do it now. Um, oh, 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 spoilers, guys. For I this. mean, I, we've given them the spoiler warning. It's fine. So the first difference is the fact that when is shot and killed. Yes. So then, um, because it was an accident, she doesn't count as a willing sacrifice in like the weird fucked up law of this universe. And so then you have the gay couple who have now got a dead child now has to kill one of the other ones and only, only one of them is left and has to like be alone for the rest of our life fucking depressing higher stakes i wanted that but i think m night Shyamalan is too much of a pussy to kill the child i like how in the movie if you know the 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 story how it originally went that they were adapting that's very funny because they essentially are like hey kid go all the way over there to the tree house so that we can't accidentally shoot you in a scuffle like in the book (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Which is great. <laughs> and then the the difference at the end, from what I understand, is that there's ambiguity. That we actually never, as a reader, know whether or not the apocalypse is real or not. They mm, just kind of like drive off and that's left hanging. And mm. I would have also preferred that to the very on-the-nose kind of weird magical realism that the end of this movie has. Oh boy. Well, I guess we'll get into that in this next section where we actually tell you from beginning to end uh, what was going on and what we were thinking about it while we were watching. Mm-hmm. The I was about to be like the cabin in the wood, the knock at the the knock at the door, the, the, knock, no- the, cabin the cabin door, the-, nope. the knock at the cabin door, knock at the cabin, knock on the cabin. <laughs> Wait, isn't it knock at the cabin? Is what is the? Yeah, it must be. It can't be on movie? the. You wouldn't knock on. You knock on the door, but you wouldn't knock at the it's cabin. Knock- 
It's knock, knock, on, knock at, the, at cabin. the cabin. You knock at the cabin. As we discuss, knock at the cabin. <laughs> Okay, so, Jazza, do you have segments for this? Do you have acts? Yes, I do. I find it really hard to place acts because of my ADHD. My sense of time is really fucked. So I can do acts when I have something in front of me and I can I can check in with the timer to see, mm-hmm. like, is it around a third of the way? So I don't have the acts. So I'm very willing to bow to your knowledge and your expertise on this. Sure. I will be honest. I have very much... Um forced a round peg into a square hole here with the party of this aftermath i was but gonna I, say but i i have forced it in it is there which is okay, kind of a liberal it. a really liberal idea of what a party is yeah in this case it's murder love that for those who don't know i feel like i do this every time i'm like for new for new listeners but firstly welcome welcome mm. also when we split it the movie into thirds we always have different names for the thirds and for some reason Every single gay movie has a party in its aftermath as one of at least one of the thirds, sometimes two, sometimes even three. So I love that you were committed to that bit and you have managed to theorize that murder is a party. Uh, Sorry. Please continue, Jazza. So my opening act is boyfriend twins try S&M for the first time. Oh, I love that. That's very, that's very clever. Thank you so much. How droll. (laughs) Very witty. How droll. So we open up with this movie with the breakout star of this film, um, Kristen Tui, the uh, seven-year-old child, adopted child of the Boyfriend Twins. Mm. Tell me why I thought you were about to say the breakout star, Dave Batista. (laughs) (laughs) Also fair. You know what? He's great. Yeah. Um, I actually don't think he was very good in this movie wow um, which okay. i uh, apparently is controversial but oh oh well so this young girl when is out in the uh, garden uh, collecting grasshoppers and as we said before is sexing them giving them names is doing like a school project incredibly incredibly cute i don't know how you felt about the cinematography and stuff mm. here I thought it was beautiful. And I actually think this whole movie is really beautifully shot. The way that they pan through windows to the outside, the way that um, light is reflected and the different warmths of light showing kind of like different stages of each day. I think it's really, really pretty. And the setting is stunning as well. Shyamalan decides to completely ruin that with um the movie dutch angles for, <laughs> with the movie um but also with dutch angles throughout the whole of this opening thing um if anybody doesn't know a dutch angle is basically when you tilt the angle of the camera so that everything is like askew and it's kind of like a bit of a a mallet it's not a very nuanced way of being able to show like, huh, something here is off. So when is there collecting some grasshoppers and then Batista comes along and starts to make friends with her, but everything is at an angle. And I, I feel like I'm tilting my head throughout the whole dialogue Mm. that he has with the seven year old. They end up making friends. He's uh, pretty charming and, then he goes, well, I'm I'm really sad because I'm going to have to do something really terrible when you should go in and get your daddies. Uh, and then we see three other people walking up the path towards the cabin where Wen is staying with her two daddies, Daddy Eric and Daddy Andrew. So cute. Um, I would like to point out that the cinematography, the, the cinematography being good is really no surprise because the, the guy who did the cinematography 
or code, there's two cinematographers who are listed, but the one who's like the really well-known one did The Lighthouse, The Witch, The Northman. Oh, like, amazing. He, yeah. like, this is not a surprise. And I also agree, like I was watching this beginning and I had very high hopes. I really, really enjoyed this like really tense there's like no music for this entire sequence. Like it's very unsettling. They keep doing like extreme close-ups that just keep getting more and more yes. extreme on their faces mm. and very straight on talking to each other. There is this real tension of a guy with Dave Bautista's physique mm -hmm. with his the strength that he has with his tattoos and with this very like still gentle calmness mm -hmm. that you are so aware any second could just turn and mm. like that kid is dead and so there's you really do not know anything about this man you don't know what his intentions are and i think that also this idea of like there's a child who is on their own who is being talked to by a stranger is like inherently a troubling tension-filled mm -hmm. mm -hmm. moment i really thought it was interesting that they had this moment at the beginning where when basically tells him about having two dads and then is like all the Disney Channel kids have one dad and all yeah, the kids in my school have one dad. My teacher keeps on saying that it's so great that she, that I have two dads, almost as if she doesn't actually think that. And it's like, oh, yeah. No. Yeah, I was like, when, you smart little cookie. Um, but I like the little bit of commentary. I love the little detail. They start sharing things. And I totally believe that Wen's favorite movie is Kiki's Delivery Service. I, really? I just loved that little detail. This opening scene had so much promise. I, I, I it's, it's unfortunately the best bit of the movie. It goes downhill from here for me. Yes, agreed. Um, so they all, as Jazza said, these three people come up this path, and the entire the entire like way through the scene, Leonard is like looking over as if he's like waiting for something or mm -hmm. someone. So like again, this tension's building, and so she, very smart, is like something is going on. These people do not seem nice, and so she runs to the cabin, lets herself in, starts screaming at her dad's, having a nice little bit of like wine and cheese on the back porch yeah. uh, to get inside because they were like, "There's a half-eaten bar of chocolate there as well." Like this is 100% a hundred percent great the vibe. time. Yeah, and they're like, she's like, "Come inside, come inside," and they're obviously like, "Okay, kiddo, I'll come inside," and then. At that point, they're properly like, are there Jehovah's Witnesses out of this cabin? I did like, really enjoy so that line. From the road. Like, what a what a dedicated <laughs> <laughs> lot of people. And then you kind of have this scene through the door where we don't really see what's going on. We see what's happening in the cabin with Daddy Andrew and Daddy Eric, but mm -hmm. we don't see what's going on outside. We just hear them. And it becomes apparent that although the four of them are kind of working together they've all approached together they all have very different attitudes and ways of that they think that this is going to work like it's like good mm -hmm. cop bad cop confused cop scared cop angry cop so many cops <laughs> at the door and when it becomes apparent that these people are there to potentially hurt them they can see through the window that they have weapons they kind of go through which i always do appreciate in these like anything that's like horror thriller type things like useful or smart things that you would do in this yeah. scenario so they try there's no signal on their cell phones for example so cell phones are out of the thing the landline has been cut so they can't call 911 they are like okay what if i try and escape no because they're surrounding the house so there's no exits we can go to mm -hmm. what if we we just need to get to the truck to get the gun. So just one of us has to be, there's lots of like things that they're trying to figure mm -hmm. out, but also obviously they have like a child they're trying to protect. So like even as they're getting the pokers for the fire to use as makeshift weapons, you're so aware that one of them is like holding a child. And so yeah, yeah, like yeah. his swing is always going to be inhibited by wanting to protect her first. Like it's very much, they're doing all that they can, but very quickly are 
essentially overpowered and we get into the bit that again is spoiled by literally the tra- like you know that these people if you watch the trailer are going to get into this house and tie them up so mm-hmm. in terms of the tension here was there any not necessarily um but during this altercation where the rest of them storm into this house break in what at Eric and or Andrew gets a concussion. Which one is it? Which one's Eric, playing? The boring Eric. one. The boring one who they should have just killed at the beginning because he was fucking useless. Really dramatically, like a typical gay, falls over, gets a concussion, and then can't look in bright lights and then starts having visions. They should have just, as soon as they asked which one of you dies, Andrew should have gone, Eric. I'll kill Eric. That's fine. End of movie. That was a short that was a short film version, but they yeah. decided to make a feature. So this continued. So we also get the first of what I've labeled the sad gay flashbacks, where <laughs> we just have a series of flashbacks to various sad moments in the gays' lives. Some of them are happy moments, but um so this first one is basically uh, Daddy Andrew's parents are mean and homophobic, and Daddy Eric is too damn hopeful Mm -hmm. he thought that they could learn the error of their ways and be nice and not homophobic but daddy eric was wrong people are trash back to the present Uh, by the way these flashbacks apart from one which i'll talk about later Mm. i feel like they do zero for this absolutely nothing absolutely nothing like i think that there is something to say for trying to make sure that there is a a robust backstory for empathy building with these characters. Mm. But I think that that actually is already kind of happening. And especially the guy who plays Andrew, um, He's great. Ben Aldridge, carries... He carries a movie. All, like, I think he really does. He he and young Wen, um, Kristen Sui, they carry this whole movie. Otherwise, it would have been like stilted awkward Mm. purely utilitarian kind of like dialogue yeah that i thought just wasn't delivered particularly particularly well this is also the point after the sake flashback where andrew first decides to accuse them because as far as he's aware some people Mm -hmm. have come into the house they are talking about the apocalypse all of this shit they maybe Mm want to hurt him and his family they've tied him up and he's like you are a bunch of homophobes and it's just a very, a very great, very like get out. I would have voted for Obama a third time if I could energy. It's being like, I don't have a homophobic bone in my body. I would mm-hmm. never. How dare you accuse us of being queer bashers as I yeah. literally gave your husband concussion. But not for the gay reason. Mm-hmm. It's just because you've been chosen by God. Just because you're a chosen special family. <laughs> chosen by God to be killed, which mm-hmm. is very gay of you, but... Um, <laughs> That's not out what we think, um, which I loved. And so I, I wrote at this point, oh, maybe the twist, because I didn't, we never, the only thing we didn't really get in the trailers was like what the big choice was, what the decision was. You just got, you and your family have to make a decision. Mm-hmm. So at this point in my mind, I'm going, oh, do the family have to kill these four? Because the four of them are looking really scared and freaked out. Mm-hmm. And like, so I was like, okay, this is where my mind is going at this point. And I, d- I guess the acting was good because they're scared and freaked out because they will have to die. But it turns out that wasn't a twist at all. They just kill themselves. So that was point. That was guess one from Rowan in her notes. I will, I will say. So I usually our roles, the two of us, are Rowan knows what the twist is and how the m- murder gets solved or whatever. 10 minutes into the movie, I don't understand what's happened until somebody explains it to me afterwards. Mm-hmm. In this film, uh, as soon as they tied them up, I was like, oh, they're going to make them 
I'm, they're going to make them kill one another. Like I or immediately got it. And I hadn't seen the trailer. No, no. This is immediately what I thought. But then I was like, stupidly, but the twist, Rowan. There has oh, to be a twist. I get you. So I was okay. like, hmm, mm-hmm. here are my twist guesses. Mm-hmm. So essentially, yeah, they, they say, hey, buddies, your cute little family of three that mm-hmm. just happens to be a same-sex couple, nothing to do with our prejudices. You've got to pick one of you guys to kill. Uh, you have to do it willingly and you have to kill each other. We can't kill you and we can't choose. Uh, how's this going to go? Is that the four of us, we're going to ask you four times, mm-hmm. who'd you pick? And every time you say, I don't want to pick, uh, something bad is going to happen. And the bad mm-hmm. thing is that we all basically kill ourselves in front of you and or like the others will kill whoever is going to die at this point and uh, we will basically wipe out like a quarter of the population of the entire planet from that kind of which really i was like confused because i was like well is your death causing the destruction of the planet like do you could you just like not die and then the planet doesn't get destroyed like Mm -hmm. how does the functioning of this work and then i very quickly was like rowan listen this movie is not about actually thinking about it don't Mm -mm, think about mm -mm. it no so there's four of them. There's Leonard, who is played by uh, Dave Batista. Redmond is played by Ron Weasley. And then there's Adrian and Sabrina, played by Abby Quinn and Nikki Amuka Bird, respectively. They kind of like resent themselves, start saying like a little bit about themselves really awkwardly. I don't know what it is. Because I'm, I'm sure I've seen Rupert Grint acts before. Mm-hmm. And this wasn't good. And I don't understand what it was. Maybe it was like a character decision because it was a real problem for the four horsemen because they are they're representative of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The four horsemen and the way that they kind of like engaged with one another and with their captors, it just felt so off. Mm-hmm. And like it didn't have any kind of like emotion behind it. It was very strange. I think that in part that was because we were never getting anything from their point of view. It was always from, I mean, mainly it was from Andrew's point of view. And so we were always being shown them where they were trying to present a, they were trying to be persuasive Mm -hmm. as for people who were not like naturally persuasive. So it doesn't necessarily have that authenticity of like when they're alone. So like we Mm -hmm. kind of hear them talking alone, but it's always like in the background of, what's going on with Andrew and Eric. It's like Mm. just whispering that they overhear. So I feel like, yeah, we didn't really get a sense of them as like actual people beyond this because we never got to see them talking in like a natural way. Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. Hello friends, Jazza here for the ad read. As returning listeners will know, we are part of Multitude a collective of creators who make stuff for your ears. And this week, we have something very exciting to announce. Merchandise. You asked and we listened. Multitude merch. It's it's finally here, my loves. You can grab a Multitude logo tee or a crew neck sweatshirt now in our DFTBA store. And there's actually more merch in there now, and it's always being updated. I'm gay, surprise, so I'm bloody obsessed with the fact that our friends at the Spirits Podcast now have their own tarot card deck, which is exactly what I need to make all of my life decisions. As a reminder, all multi-crew members at the $10 tier and up get 10% off all Multitude logo merch. 
always. So are you Team T, Team Crewneck, or are you something else? Tag Multitude on your socials once you have your merch so that we can settle the debate once and for all. We would like to thank the .gay domain, yeah, it's real, for sponsoring this episode. As the first top-level domain dedicated to the LGBTQ plus communities, .gay, they wrote this ad read, shantayoustay.com, sashay away. Um, since launching in 2020, over 18,000 individuals, organizations, and businesses, like even Target, or Target, have registered a .gay domain name, and they're just getting started. .gay is a community-focused domain that serves LGBTQ plus communities by providing visibility and donating 20%, which is a lot, of each domain registration to grassroots organizations. The .gay domain is committed to providing a safer internet for LGBTQ plus communities by banning and taking down hateful content. So if you're sick of using a domain that doesn't represent you, switch to .gay today. Head over to queermoviepodcast.gay. Yeah, we've got one too now. Um, to get a free .gay domain name of your choice for your own website or brand for one year. Make .gay your online identity, because .com, it really isn't gay enough. Speaking about domain names, you've heard us talk about Squarespace before, and they continue to be supporters of this podcast, and we're very, very grateful. We use Squarespace for all of our own website needs. It gives us access to analytics and create email campaigns because you can't trust the bloody algorithm anymore, and it also is a really handy place for us to be able to get all of our social media in one place, especially since I was banned from Twitter by Elon. It's really important for me to have kind of like a hub and Squarespace domains allow me to do that. We know that you hear many of your favorite digital people, friends, the stuff you listen to, all of them have their own Squarespace advertising code thing. Please use ours. It really hugely makes a difference for us to be able to continue to go back to Squarespace and be like, hey, are all of the queers, they love this stuff. So really appreciate you continuing to use our code. All you need to do is go to squarespace.com slash queer movie in order to register for a domain or um, buy a website. And then all you have to do is use queer movie at checkout and you save 10 percentage points off of your first purchase just go to squarespace.com slash queer movie that's squarespace.com slash queer movie okay we can get back to the show now so this is where my this is my party in its aftermath and the party is the death of ron weasley uh i mean yeah Sure. Because this is the first place for me where I laughed where I shouldn't have laughed. The first place. Love that energy. <laughs> like Ron Weasley has to be murdered because the gays said they're not going to kill one another. And the bit that I laugh at is where Dave Bautista finishes off Ron Weasley and then picks up his legs. And then the camera tracks as he drags him out onto the patio past two windows and then just drops his legs. And I just, the, the visual of it absolutely sent me. I was inappropriately cackling through the whole dragging scene in the cinema. Everybody hated me. I love that. So yeah, sorry, Ron. 
you're dead. You died pretty early. Mm-hmm. You had a good run being angry man in the corner because Ron's character was just angry. Like that was his character at that point was just angry, grumpy man. Mm-hmm. That was it. He's meant to be wrath or something like that. They then turn on the telly and they see that, um, oh, look, there's been earthquakes and there is tsunamis despite the fact that the first of those earthquakes this is one of the plot holes and the plot holes that really annoyed me where the first two like plagues that they release onto humanity by not sacrificing one another the first one is two earthquakes that cause two tsunamis that happen the first of which happens four hours before they turn on the telly Mm. which means well, it can't have been triggered by the gays. And then the second one is a type of like flu. It's like an, Im- mm. it's a bird flu or something like that, that uh, for some reason has an epicenter in Suffolk. Classic Suffolk. And- <laughs> Classic Suffolk. But that has also been happening for several months already. Mm. And so also isn't caused by the gays. There is like a wider conversation around like the religious zealotness of gay marriage causes natural disasters. I love that. Uh, And I think there is like an opportunity for a meta commentary about that here, but I'm not going to make it. I will say my favorite bit of this whole section was that the newscaster go, well, first of all, the air fryer ad that plays before. Oh my God, why? Why watching this air fryer ad? And then that, which is, it's the director as a cameo, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was like, I, that looks like the director. Um, So I just really like that it was like, that was the choice that they made where they're like waiting for the breaking news to happen. Mm -hmm. But during the newscast, the woman goes, just shot moments ago, we have footage. And I'm like, that's not shot moments ago because that person who took that footage is fully dead. Like they yeah. they get consumed by the tsunami. They weren't then like in the tsunami being like, better text this to ABC News. <laughs> like, and it wasn't even like- they I guess they could like, have live been streaming. Stream. Well, this yeah. is the thing because normally when that happens, you have like live stream. But I was like, this is just so ridiculous. But I was like, you know what? The film is ridiculous. I'm getting into it. Mm-hmm. Also like a lot of the tone of the four kind of people who have come to this cabin, there's- with these weird moments of comedy of awkwardness that mm-hmm. I was never quite sure whether I was meant to be laughing at. So mm-hmm. I was like, lo- sometimes laughing in my head. I don't think I ever laughed out loud, but like it was such a strange tone that I really wasn't sure what was going on or what I was meant to be thinking. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just that really sent me. We also at this point, essentially they're like, we're on a clock, we're on a timer, but actually, you know what? We're gonna have to break overnight. Like we actually end of our shift. Um, so you guys have a little chat. Yeah, 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 <laughs> do you mind? See you in the morning. See you in the morning, gang. Um, and we find out that Eric is definitely, we know from a flashback that he's religious. And so I think at this point we're starting, they're like slowly creeping in the potential that Eric could be. He's the weakest link. Kill the fucker. Kill Eric. Persuaded. He's the weakest link. I then put my second prediction, which was Eric is one of these religious bitches. So I thought, because he kept that asking. That would have been good. I kept, he kept asking questions about the, so at first, I, I predicted that right at the beginning when they have that moment of being like, oh, you can pray if you want to. And they tell him about the visions they've been having which is like them predicting, prophesizing what's going to happen and how it all matches up. And he says something like, dreams can mean lots of things. And I was like, oh, 
I think he's been having these dreams and he's persuaded, mm. like his, like Andrew has persuaded him, like this is cause you're stressed. Like these don't mean anything. And he's trying mm -hmm. to persuade himself. And I fully thought that he also had been having these dreams. Mm -hmm. That was prediction, fun twist number two that didn't happen. Um, so then we get a flashback to them in the car and the, it's just them being cute and singing and coming to the cabin. And that child actor who plays, who plays uh, when looks directly into the camera almost for that entire sequence. And I loved it so much. They're singing karaoke and she keeps clearly being directed to look at either of the dads, but between them is the camera. And she just spends most of the time looking directly at the audience. <laughs> I didn't notice that at all. That's it was stunning. I love, I love her. That. They also at this point are talking about being around in the flashback, talking about being in the cabin. And I got what I thought was going to be a really fun Chekhov's gun situation where they are joking about whether there are like bears in the area. And one mm -hmm. of the dads is like, we know we'll be safe. We won't leave the garbage out. And I was like, Ron, Ron's going to get eaten by a bear. There's going to be some bear situation that's going to happen. Like we won't leave the garbage out, but there's literally a dead body waiting to be eaten by a bear. Like something mm -hmm. is happening. That never came back again. That was wrong as well. Or um, an army of bears. I really um, was like, waiting like, for cocaine like bear. Like bear leather daddy. A cocaine bear could have turned up. Um, or I was thinking like some leather da bear daddies um, could have tr trotted up um, and saved them. That would have been even better, but no. We also at this point, like the whole movie is just them being in this cabin one <laughs> by one. These people are killing themselves. They have various escape attempts. So at first, when tries to like, climb into the basement and run, but ends up getting captured. Mm -hmm. We also find out that Andrew has had an experience of gay bashing in the past mm. um, and that he is convinced, he suddenly realizes that he recognizes Ron Weasley because mm -hmm. he looks from a bit the different Harry Potter movies. from the Harry Potter movies, but he's like, <laughs> but also he was the guy who beat me up yeah. and, and put me in hospital and, and put me through like this horrible, like PTSD experience I have to still have therapy for. And we also get a flashback where we can't quite see his face. So again, it's like, oh, is it really him? Is he misremembering because mm -hmm. of his trauma? What's going on? And then they, then we start questioning, like, are these people actually, you know, is this all a coincidence because did Ron tell them that he'd been having a dream about the cabin when they were chatting on the little message board where they all met and then they suddenly started having the dream because he planted the idea in their heads mm. and very quickly that's all squashed and it's like no no it's it's that's not what was happening at all the apocalypse is really going on that switch and bait was kind of pointless for a second don't worry about it we're yeah. back on track the apocalypse is definitely happening let's kill some more of these <laughs> people yeah and the next one to die is adrienne um and as she dies this flu that has existed for several months up until this point is then reported on on the tv andrew ends up like really angry saying that these are obviously coincidences this um uh, saying suggesting that these are pre-recorded broadcasts that they are just turning on and they're timing everything specifically for for specific newscasts and sabrina um uh, one of the two remaining i'm gonna i'm just calling them the horsemen yeah yeah is bandaging up Eric and describing the vision that she's had and how they ended up kind of like finding each other online making them sound this is the thing. If they had hammered this idea more that they were people who were radicalized and made it feel more obvious to the viewer that, oh, these are some people who have been radicalized online, like QAnon style mm. vibes, that would have made the conclusion of the movie more more not necessarily surprising but more interesting mm. and you kind of have it seeded but i don't think it comes across strongly enough yeah. eventually uh andrew 
ends up escaping after when starts screaming for cartoons and distracts the rest of them and Andrew somehow like sneaks past them despite the fact that they're literally feet away from one another um he gets to the car gets his gun that was in the back that he carries around since he was gay bashed for his own protection shoots but misses Sabrina um she stabs him they end up going back into the cabin and then he actually does shoot and kill Sabrina. Sabrina's now dead. Here are my notes for this section. Right. Run, Andrew. (laughs) Sabrina, you hit him. Get the gun. (laughs) Hurry with that gun. Get the fucking gun. Stop stabbing him. Baby got the gun. She run away. Oh no, flat tire. (laughs) That's that's what I wrote down. Some very important intellectual notes about that whole section. And then I put, why are you threatening Leonard? Just kill him. Yeah, right? Just shoot the fucker. Just shoot uh, But he, he does say, he does say, we don't want to be a murderer like you all are. But, um, but then, okay, this is the thing that's really weird as well, is that they have this whole thing where they're trying to persuade us, like, Andrew doesn't give a shit about humanity. Like, he's this jaded motherfucker. He doesn't give a shit. He'll let humanity burn if it will save his family. And he can't shoot one dude. Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem that doesn't seem in line with his character, but sure. So, so, so Sabrina got, got shot. She's now dead. For some reason, they always have to kind of, like, finish them off, even though they're clearly already dead. But uh, Leonard... Gotta be uh, thorough. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Make sure that the job is done. He wraps her up in a blanket and sticks her into the uh, into the other room. But then Eric and Andrew lock Leonard in the bathroom because they're going to run and try and go to the the truck that um, the four horsemen mm-hmm. must have arrived here with. And when they put him in the bathroom, there is just a very visible human-sized hole of a window. Sure, sure. But <laughs> so so Leonard smashes this window, making it seem like he's managed to escape. He's huge. He wouldn't fit through that window. And so it's just obvious. It's a normal human sized window, not a Dave size window. Not a Dave size window. Um, and so uh, they end up like wrestling to the ground. Um, Classic gay movie stuff, wrestling, to be fair. Yeah, they, they don't, that does they make don't sense. They don't kiss. They don't kiss though, which is they normally, normally the boys wrestle and then they kiss in these situations. But no kisses, only gun uh, grabbing happening mm-hmm. here. Uh, and then after Sabrina dies, this is the second time that I unintentionally cackled to myself in the movie when we have the footage of all of the planes falling from the sky. Wee! I did. It just looked... The CGI looked it so bad. It looked very bad. It just looked so silly to me. And there's people looking up in, like, horror, obviously, because, like, 700 planes have fallen from the sky. But I just think the whole thing... The tone was just so off. Uh, so that's, like, the third, and now we just have Leonard. And this is where my act three begins Mm. and my act three is just kill eric already yeah fair um so at this point it's like okay the planes are falling from the sky literally there's like lightning and thunder everywhere the darkness is descending Mm. everything is going to shit so it's like okay the apocalypse is definitely happening we have a choice to make leonard at this point is just like chilling out in the rocking chair I guess I assume if he if he wants a nice final moments, helping himself to that wine, cheese, and chocolate that they left no, out there at the yeah, beginning of the movie. And 
essentially is like, hey guys, so hopefully you're persuaded by now. Uh, I still have to die, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. RIP, pouring out for me. Uh, but please also, you'll have a little bit after I die. Please kill each other. Like kill at least one <laughs> of you guys. And there's a line again that in my head, I was like, oh, this is interesting. Which is Eric says to Wen, go to the treehouse until one of us comes to get you. Yeah, he's decided. And already. I was yeah. like, mm, my baby about to die. Mm -hmm. And I was right for once. And then at this point, I put RIP Leonard. Every time someone died, I just put RIP. You know, you got to respect nice the horseman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then I said, but it, it finishes this time with RIP Leonard, hello darkness, my old friend. Uh, because as soon as he dies, uh, quite literally, the sky turns black. Just because of, you know, we lost a we lost a bad boy um, mm -hmm. and the earth couldn't cope. So essentially, this then becomes this weirdly like heavy handed, strange, um, extended, not even a metaphor, like sim symbolism or a lesson to be learned. I don't know what it was about like the one gay who hates humanity because he was gay bashed and blames mm -hmm. other people. The other gay who's a religious boy who sees the best in other Sacrificed people. Sacrificed himself. And he'll say, he's Jesus, I guess. Jesus was gay. And 33 and single in that economy. <laughs> right. And it's just like, they're not like, they hate us. They're monsters. Like all of these homophobes, the whole world is homophobic and hates me particularly. Like I love humanity, I hate humanity. Conversation. So this actually, this was the this was the thing I wanted to talk about. Ooh, do you want to do because it now? I, yeah. So I think that there was something potentially really interesting that could have played with the idea of the paranoia that you have from having grown up in a homophobic community in a in a homophobic culture where your guard is always up you don't trust others and you like for example when andrew automatically goes to oh you're here because you're homophobic and you think that we should die and that they're religious zealots and that bad faith assessment that they have because of the terrible experiences that andrew specifically in this case but queer people in general have gone through he automatically then sees the worst in any confrontation that he ends up having it made me think when we saw the Ron Weasley attacking him scene and then the next scene is him purchasing a gun. It made me think of, um, so I made a documentary after the Pulse shootings in Florida around the increase in gun use amongst the LG or, or, or registration of guns among the LGBTQ plus community and that desire for you to take that power and that agency back from this culture that has taken away safety from you and therefore you need to be able to make yourself hard and make yourself battle ready we see him um, training to be a boxer as well so that he's able to defend himself and therefore his family and I think that there was a real potential here with this character with Andrew's character to be like oh I have to like what is the thing that I am defending is it me or is it this thing that I have built and I think that the movie falls flat on that, but there was such potential for that theme of like the tragedy of being a queer person growing up in a homophobic culture and what that does to you in not being able to really kind of like experience life in a joyful way. So that was mm. my little extra bit, but it doesn't do that. No. And I also think that that has been slightly like that very legitimate, like element and experience kind of almost has been like co-opted by this 
like I feel like I've seen multiple sketch shows where you have the gay character who preemptively assumes homophobia uh-huh. or the black character who preemptively assumes like s- racism where it's like oh is it because I'm black is it because I'm gay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh this is because I'm a woman isn't it and so that has become such a like catch-all gotcha where you can't legitimately point it out without it being like you're paranoid you're crazy like yeah it's it's not because you're gay it's because god chose you <laughs> yeah it's like really i feel like it would be a really tricky one to do without either legitimizing the idea that like literally the entire world is out to get you and everyone is homophobic but also legitimizing the very real dangers and fear that can be present and like the psychological experience of like extreme chronic stress that you can have from mm-hmm. this kind of situation for, which which i think is something that like a lot of marginalized people go through um but yeah mm. you're right it didn't happen so you know what oh well oh well um and then uh, finally let's wrap this shit up um, wrap we- it up <laughs> finally finally thank god eric's dead uh er- eric's dead andrew killed him just in case you weren't it wasn't when didn't kill him uh when he's in the that treehouse been, that would have been a cool twist um, that would be she would have been like I can't let you choose between... She's like, still this little eight-year-old being like, fathers, daddies, I would never make you choose. For that would be the most awful torture of all. I will decide which daddy dies today. <laughs> um, I I really, I actually kind of, part of me really, really wanted that. Um, especially <laughs> because she was really affected by the fact that all of the kids were dying from the bird flu. Mm. And I would have liked it if she'd just taken the gun and shot Eric in the head. But anyway. Oh my God, that would have been great. So we have like this weird post post apocalyptic scenes where they go to a they take the truck to a diner and um we are told literally by one of the npcs uh yep <laughs> oh everything's gonna be okay now that accent um i can only assume will be improving as you continue to live in new york I fucking hope not. Um, and then <laughs> when they return to the truck, they play, they turn on the radio and this um, song called Boogie Shoes comes on, which was seeded in a feed, but it, which was shown in a flashback beforehand. Where she looked at the camera all the time, yeah. Yeah, where she looked at the camera. Uh, and then they drive off. The end. There was one last moment where I thought, huh, interesting. Because as far as I could tell... It's raining during that entire end sequence. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. her dress and his shirt is just bone dry the entire time mm. until I think they get into the cafe and then suddenly I think they're like slightly damp. But I think it was just a continuity error. You know what I mean? Same with like mm. there's a moment where their hands get tied in front of them, but then suddenly their hands are tied behind them, stuff like that. But no, it was just continuity. It wasn't some like secret thing about reality or what was real or a twist. It's just simply the end of the movie now. Also, I wrote down. So one of the funny things is with the bury your gaze trope, Mm-hmm. I did a video a while ago that essentially analyzed like these the separate instances of like what counts as burial gaze and what the different like most common uses for it are. Mm. And one of the really big ones in at the start of like queer representation that was being more sympathetic in sort of like the 90s and onwards was this idea of like the gay character dies in order to like teach everyone else a lesson about like the value of <sighs> yeah. life and love. And I was like, yeah. oh no, this is like the ultimate version of that. <laughs> don't worry the gay one will die but the rest of us can go on and learn to appreciate life Mm -hmm. on this planet even more was this movie just rent oh my god imagine (laughs) truly rent for weddings and a funeral i just there's so many insane examples my absolute favorite one is in supernatural there are these characters called i think they're called the ghost faces and one of them dies and there's literally a line that's like 
gay love like saved the world just because like the power of gay love like prevented the apocalypse or whatever because he just dies um so yeah uh that was the movie that was the end thank god yeah shall we go into ratings let's do it When we rate each of the movies that we talk about and review on this podcast, we use the six bars of the rainbow flag and we give a certain number of bars and certain colours. Does that make sense? It it will in a minute. So um, uh, we can give a, any combination of red, which means life, orange, which means healing, yellow, which means sun, green, which means nature, blue, that means harmony, and purple, that means spirit. How many bars are you going to give it, Jazza? I'm going to give it yellow, and that's it. Um, Can I? Okay, I'm also going to give it yellow, and I think we have the exact same reasoning. Um, so the late, the golden hour, mm. kind of like lighting yeah, that comes through in that the window and shines. Scene. Yeah, Ooh, it was tasty. It was so good. It was the only good thing about the movie and the grasshopper scene, actually. Mm. Um, so maybe if I liked this movie more, I'd have given it green as well for nature. But no, nature. it's just getting yeah. yellow. Yeah, um, I fully agree. And sunlight for that exact reason. There was some beautiful shots in that bathroom. Then again, I was looking and I was like, I want to find some meaning behind this. One of you is in light. One of you is in shadow. Like what's Mm -hmm. happening here? There's some interesting colors. There was a whole moment where Eric talked about seeing a figure in the light that I guess was Jesus. And no, the figure, the figure in the light was the future vision of Andrew and when. Sure. Um, Wasn't it? I feel like that. Wasn't that the thing? Wouldn't that be two figures? Oh, I don't care. I don't want to think about this. Do you know what? Yeah, I was like, you know what? It's at the end where the recording's done. Like, wake me up when we're talking about episode three of The Last of Us. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, We've had a few movies that we haven't liked Mm. back to back yeah you know what's really exciting the next movie that we're going to review is going to be my favorite movie of all time well there we go Mm -hmm. is it rent no (laughs) (laughs) and listener you're just gonna you're just gonna have to wait to find out (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for listening if you enjoy these episodes we ask that you consider supporting us on patreon as a patron, you can join our queer movie club where we do watch-alongs on our Discord each month, but that is just the bare minimum. At higher levels, you can also get our movie recommendations and a monthly newsletter about all of the gay shit that we have found on the internet. Thank you once again to Jennifer and Toby for supporting us at the highest tier on Patreon, the Rainbow Parent tier. We are so, so thankful for your support, and the Patreon's very cool. You should definitely check it out just saying just just saying hardly endorsed Uh, make sure you follow and subscribe to the podcast so that you are notified of our next episode we have been Jazza John and Rowan Ellis we were edited by the incomparable Julia Shafini and are part of Multitude for more of their amazing stuff go to multitude.productions thank you so much my darlings you'll hear from us very soon bye toodaloo